Post podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Pym, and I am an erotic writer as well as the producer of the live stage show Bedpost. Here at the Bedpost podcast, I invite past guests and performers from the stage show to indulge me in a more in depth conversation about sex and sexuality. However, this week that's not exactly true. This week we have registered research nurse and coordinator. And also, she's my mom, Marianne Pym. Hello, everybody. It's about time she asked me. You've been a, a listener for long enough. Yes, I have. You like the podcast, Mom? Yes, I love the podcast. I have to listen and check out each one and then give you feedback and comment on them. Oh, and she gives me feedback. I feel like the main reason you wanted to come on the podcast is to, like, clear up some of the stuff I've said. <laughs> like, a bit of it might not be too accurate, I guess, but that's okay. Who believes what's on the web anyway? Yeah, right? It's just a person talking. Like, how yeah. valid is it? So, so you like the podcast, which is great. What do you think of, what do you think of, like, all my sex and sexuality work and hobbies well, that I do. Well, for you being an accomplished erotic writer, I've always been very proud of that. Um, I... I mean, I, I feel like you're my biggest fan. Yes, exactly. I support everything you do, yes. and you make your own decisions, but, you know, our family is pretty conservative, so yeah. if I... So you have to be a little careful about who you kind of... I do. I do. I mean, I share it, and I share it amongst friends. I always do if you have a book that comes out, a trilogy, anything like that. I'm very excited, and I'm very proud that you are such a hard worker at everything you do. And I share it, and a lot of friends, including men, do comment, make a comment on it, and uh positive or negative <laughs> positive and yeah. some of they think it's great uh you know i always tell them it's not really my cup of tea right but many many people read like the 50 shades of gray type of thing and yeah. love reading that it's just not mine i love drama and murders yeah and- you love you love like politic Novels and crime novels, mostly. uh, (laughs) That's the way it is. Now, uh, to go on to your show, oh my God. I wish you could come and see the show. Mom's in Grand Bend. We're doing this by Skype, by the way. So I'm in Toronto. Mom is in Grand Bend, Ontario. I wish you could come and see the show. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Uh, You would just laugh your head off, I feel like. I think so. The show, I think, is ingenious, though. Oh. I... 
I'm so proud of you uh, about the whole thing, and I know uh, to produce it, uh, you know, once a month and figure out uh, what people you're going to have and who will gel to make a very successful show. Yeah, it's not easy. Plus, you are always um, hosting it, and at the same time, you either learn a song or dancing or something with other people. Yep, it's a whole lot of stuff on top of being just a producer having a, a full time job, also. Yes. So when those videos come and pictures come, I take my thing off and put public, and I share with everybody. <laughs> On Facebook, she's and talking about. <laughs> your books uh, I do too. I'm not saying. I always do for your books, but, but those the show videos, you everybody yeah. sees them. Now, yeah. if it is something sexually explicit, which some of them are, then I do warn. But you put a warning on it. Yeah, and they maybe do not comment a lot. I find on the real sexual ones, they don't comment. Yeah. But I'll tell you, I got a heck of a lot of views, like tons of views. (laughs) If people don't say anything, they're definitely watching it. They maybe don't want to own up that they (laughs) watched the whole thing. Okay, great. Um, I just want to say... Yes, sorry, sorry. There's a bit of a delay on the Skype, so we might be talking over each other a bit. But we'll try not to do that. That's okay. I just, uh, just for the podcast thing, I did want to say, in that, you, no holds bar, you talk about everything, you, everything about your sexuality, you you know, your sexual habits, whatever. Yeah. Uh, It's so great, though, that uh, your partner feels the same way, so you can talk about those things better. Now, I'm in a different situation. Yes, right. I'm in an age group of being in the 60s, and my partner, who you know very dearly... (laughs) Is my dad. Yeah. kind of freaking (laughs) that I'm going to be talking about masturbation, how do I do it, when do I start? Yeah, uh, which we're not going to do that. What position are we doing with sex act? No, we're not going to be talking about that. I greatly warned him that, or told him, no, I know, I told Aaron already (laughs) that's out of bounds, and I said, but I think it's good that you discuss that, that you're fine with it, your partner is, and the people you have on. And I remember you had one guest that said their partner was sitting back somewhere relieved that... We weren't talking about mentioned, and that's good that she did not go against what he felt. Oh yeah, every every guest I have on, including my mom on this episode, we always have a talk about you know what don't you want to talk about, what is uncomfortable for you to talk about, Um, and even after the fact, was there anything we talked about that maybe upon thinking about maybe you don't want to be on the air forever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is super easy yeah. for me to edit it in post if that happens. And so we had the exact same conversation with, with Mama today. We had detailed conversations <laughs> just to make sure that everything is on the yes. up and up. Yeah. So one thing that I really am excited to talk about is uh, Mom's experience growing up through adolescence, uh, through puberty, kind of the differences between uh, my experience and my mom's experience, which is growing up in the, uh, well, if you're talking about when you're a little girl, that's going to be happening in the 60s for you. Yes. Uh, I, I started menstruating when I was 10 years old. Oh, wow. That's early, and isn't it? it? It's early. On the early but, end of it. But I, I did, and I remember 
going to my mom and telling her I was bleeding and she just said okay that's called a period yeah <laughs> I had no forewarning I, I didn't know what was going on but basically like she was in a home very very conservative very very private and I remember she gave me just a box of pads yeah. and a belt that's what we used at the time there weren't any tampons at all I had no idea even how to put on the belt, what to do. I had no idea what I was doing. But she gave me a book. Oh, yeah. It had, like, pictures of the genitals, and it talked about a few things. And I remember going to my bedroom and re reading it and then sitting and crying because I had no idea what it all meant. Yes. The only thing she had said to me was, you're going to have this every month till you're very old. Wow. And I'm like, what the hell? So what you hadn't happened? heard about that in school at all? No, nothing, nothing. So I had no idea, I didn't know what was happening, if I was like bleeding, Dying. what was wrong. And so even once that happened and I cried, I would never ever have gone to my mom and told her I didn't understand and I wanted to know more about, more about it. it. What yeah. about you had an older sister? What about no, talking to we her? Didn't talk about any of Same that. thing, eh? No, not a word. And and is that because, or is that partially because you were a very Catholic family? Do you think that yes. that was kind of bred yeah, into yeah, definitely, not definitely because uh, my sister got married when she was nineteen. That's oh wow! Yeah, I didn't realize that. Got married when she was nineteen and. So we're a few years apart. How many years apart uh, are you from your older sister? About two and a half. Oh, okay. Three, two and a half to three, around like that. Okay. But, you know, we you just didn't talk about it. Okay, so menstruating. With me, if you remember, I how old was I? Do you remember? Because I don't really. Eleven. Because, oh, I was 11. Okay. Yeah, you were 11. Because <laughs> I remember with me, we had a false start. Where I thought I was menstruating. Do you remember? Yes, I do remember <laughs> that. It okay. was, and it often happens with girls. It's a false start. They start. I thought I was. No, no, no. I didn't at all, though. I think it was the time. I think I, like, scratched myself a little too much. And there was, like, the tiniest dot of blood. Like, when <laughs> I wiped. Yes. <laughs> masturbating though a little I, bit too hard maybe yeah like well you know what I don't think I was ma actually masturbating at that age but what I probably did was like I'd kind of scratch myself and then be like yeah. oh this feels good and then yeah and then that yeah. so I don't think I was going out to masturbate quite at that age yeah, yeah no, but I like where I did it and then scratch myself I think yeah. I, I do remember that. I do remember that. But no, you were 11 when you started. And then I actually started when yeah, I was 11. Yeah, because what happened was you actually started, but then... And then didn't get it for a long, long time? long time, it didn't come again till maybe you were 12. See, I don't remember that. Yeah, like bits. You had the odd time here and there, and then all of a sudden you had a full period. But what you always had it... Uh, like very, very, very heavy periods, though. Yes. Your whole time, right from the beginning on, you always had heavy periods. Yeah. And I remember, like, with the false start, I remember my cousin Laura, who I <laughs> hung out with constantly, she had her period already. And I think I wanted to have it, too. Yes. Like, yes, like exactly. Laura did. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> you guys hung around a lot. So I was like, I have it too. Oh my God, I have another memory where we were in on the day where I said I got my period, but I didn't. Yes. We went swimming in Laura's pool. Yes. And she was like, how in the world are you swimming (laughs) if you just had your very first, on your first day of your very first period? She was like, how are you in the pool? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm great. Like... (laughs) Because when your first one came, you thought you were dying. (laughs) And I remember saying to you, you asked me, Mom, like, when am I going to be getting it? I said, every month there. And, like, till you're, like, some people till they're 50, 60 years old. And you're like, oh, my God, no, that can't be. And I said, yeah, it is. That's the way it is. Yeah, you became, you're a girl, and now you became a woman, and that's the way it is. I'm sorry to tell you. I think you gave me a book, too, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I did. I but, re- we uh, went through a book together? What did we? Yeah, we did. I remember, so uh, what I remember, I did get uh, a sex ed class, and by that, mean, by that I mean, like, literally it, two hours of education, quote-unquote education, in my whole school experience, and I remember... Like, it was just a um, thing that they put up on a projector, and they had us all there together, the boys and the girls, and this was in Mr. Stevenson's class, so was that grade eight? Yeah, grade eight. Okay, so this is in grade eight, and what I remembered in it was, like, that I didn't feel embarrassed or shamed when it showed the women's stuff, because it was, like, it's internal, mostly, all the sex organs. Right. So it was almost like you were looking at a diagram of somebody's heart and yeah so like I didn't feel shame about that but when the met the boys things came on and it was it's all external sex organs mostly talking about the penis and all stuff like that that's when I was like oh the boys must feel embarrassed about this but I don't think I understood it much because it's so internal and it's not in front of you and I actually um did go on a committee and I was trying really, really hard to get other parents to be more open about sex and just to teach that it was a healthy thing. I think in the Catholic school... Yeah, because I went in a Catholic school as well. Yeah, we... You know, you almost learned that it was something dirty or whatever, and I never thought that was a good way to, to teach people. But people really were against me in the committee Hmm. and it actually was to try and pass through the school board what would be taught in health class and a sex ed class that Mm -hmm. type of thing because at that time yeah the pope was uh putting out that was even way into my 20s that if you were catholic you could not take the pill or any birth control. Unless there was a medical reason. But the second thing was, you only had intercourse to procreate. Right. And I didn't think that was actually a healthy thing to be teaching teens to late teens. I mean, I graduated, uh, say, in 1970 from grade 13. Right. So even at that point, we were still taught abstinence. We had a priest that taught us religion. 
Yeah. And they even said at that time not to marry someone out of the faith. faith, which I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding. Like, what is this person talking about? But the funny part is that priest <laughs> and one that married your dad and I and also an older priest at the parish where we grew up, they all eventually ended up getting married. Wow. That's the funny thing. Interesting. One married a nun and one married an OR nurse. Wow. And the other one just, just married. I think it was a nun also, I believe. So all that they told you in school, that's hilarious, by the way. Uh, so all that they did tell you in school was don't do it. Like with masturbation, yeah. with sex, just don't totally, do it. Totally, Masturbation, though, we didn't even discuss in there. Oh, but yeah. you okay. heard it anywhere, it, even from parents, it, the, the thing you knew in your head was, was don't do don't it. Don't do it. And if you do do it, you certainly would never tell anybody and you do it privately. Like, and did, what did you think? Did you think you were going to hell or something if you masturbated? Well, just that it was generally, a it was a sin. Yeah, they pounded it into us that anything like that, touching yourself, anything, it was it was a sin. Yeah, and and also, you know, just I I remember one time. Okay, so say I'm now talking, probably my like maybe when I was 18 or 19 I remember so this is now going to how my parents felt about things mm-hmm. I remember a guy a boyfriend came and I went ran remember running down to the car and I just put my arms around him quickly and gave him a kiss hello yeah and then we went in the house well oh my gosh did I ever get help from my dad after the fact hmm he said to me, how could you do that public display of affection like in front of all the neighbors? Right. And I got grounded for that. Really? And, for yeah, just a quick fact, quick kiss and a oh hug there? Oh, my God. It wasn't even a kiss on the lips. It yeah. was just a kiss on his cheek. Hello. And I put kind of put my arms around him. So everything was always sort of like thing you just don't do it it's not nice to do it you wait till you're married mm-hmm. and I remember my one brother would iron uh, his shirts and he'd be there in his uh, tidy whiteies and <laughs> uh, my mom would say so-and-so you get in your bedroom and you get some clothes on your sisters are around <laughs> because I think at, at one point um, we were much more open with like nudity and stuff like that. But I think at one point you told me that you had never, you had only seen your mom in her bra once, like by mistake. Is that Oh, for correct? sure. And she broke her arm and nothing against my mom. No, no. She was brought up, mm-hmm. but she broke her arm and I took care of her at our house and trying to get a nightgown on without seeing her in her bra I'm saying not even braless her in her bra Bra. and trying to get a nightgown over with a cast on and trying to keep her totally covered Covered. finally I had to stop and say look mom stop I can't do this anymore I can't get it on like this like I'm a girl you're a girl I've seen a bra before I'm putting it just leave your hands alone. Stop trying to hide. I'm putting your nightgown on. And that was the end of it. How old then were you? Got, th- sorry. Uh, uh, in, like in my 20s. Yeah. 
20s or 30s. So who, uh, how did, because uh, I have a funny story about uh, my first bra. Did, <laughs> did uh, so did you, who, how did you know to get a bra or who did you? Well, actually, when I was in grade seven, grade eight, around there, there was one girl that had a bra and all. Everybody in the school knew that girl had a bra. Oh, my oh. gosh. So-and-so, look, under her clothes, like a white tee, like yeah. we had to wear a uniform. So under the white shirt uh, shirts that we wore. You could see it. Like, oh, my gosh, she's got a bra on. Well, then I was the second one. Oh. Just mine hurt like crazy when mm-hmm. they were coming. Mm-hmm. My, my mom actually took me to the doctor and said, I think something's wrong. Oh, really? And, yeah, they hurt like crazy when they were coming out and then uh, like starting to form and then they came out and then I just said to my mom, I want to go and get a bra. I can't have this showing under my t- my shirt. Mm-hmm. So we went and got a bra. But so you only had nothing to do with it though. The lady totally helped. Right. So you, okay, so that was in grade seven or eight for you. So for me, I, in like grade, it must have been grade three because the two girls that I knew had bras and they were still, they were flat as a board like I was, but the two cool girls in my class were Kelly and Teresa. Yes, I remember well. Okay, so both of them had like these little kind of training bras, I guess. Well, yeah, they had had starter bras. Yeah, these little starter bras. And I wanted one of those, even though I had like (laughs) negative boobs. And I think what you got for me was like, I I guess we went and got it together. But it was more of like, at first, it was more of just like a lacy like undershirt. Like because yeah, I did, I did not need a bra. <laughs> yeah, no, they had ones that were, but but, but you and in, you indulged me and got me like. <laughs> well, yeah, because you know how they had them almost like the sports bras are now, where they're yeah. all one piece. You didn't even have a clasp or anything on. It was just a thing yeah. you put over your head. Yes, yeah. But yeah, it yeah. covered your breasts <laughs> under your shirt. So well, I didn't have breasts though. at the very beginning. <laughs> And no, you didn't really need it, but you wanted one, so I got you one. Because <laughs> as we know, you don't have huge boobs. No, even now I don't. No, so in grade three, I definitely didn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I remember, too, about deodorant. Once after, I used to take dance classes, and once after a dance class, you kind of said to me, oh, well, you know, you, you might want to get some deodorant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then you and I went to, like, Shoppers Drug Mart yeah. and picked yeah. it up, I think. <laughs> so did you, did you, What? who told you you smelled? <laughs> oh, I, I just knew I smelled. I went myself. We had a, we had a store on Lock Street called Garston's and the French's ran it and mm-hmm. I knew to go in there and ask that lady and I'll tell you why because for my mother she would send me to get her patch never you, you know at that time you only used pads so she would well, send you to get her pads yes oh. I used to have to go on my lunch hour or something from school but then I actually felt like an undercover agent because when you went in, <laughs> the lady quietly in the back got a box, put it in a brown paper bag. An unlabeled paper bag. 
unlabeled and you carried that home. But the stupid part about the whole thing was everybody knew if you were carrying a brown paper bag. <laughs> that it was menstrual products. pads in them. <laughs> so it really defeated the purpose. <laughs> okay. So one thing I know you wanted to clear up kind of was, okay, me, so I lost my virginity quite young. Yes. And I know I've said on the podcast before that we didn't really talk about it beforehand at all. Like, like we didn't really have a sex talk. Did we have any, any well, sex talk? We, we had a sex talk and you knew what went where and all that kind of thing. And uh, the pro the thing was at the time uh, we were dealing with the heavy periods. Oh right! And so oh yeah. So okay. So had, I went on yeah. So I went on birth control right because of the heavy periods. Yeah, you did. I mean, that was the real reason. I never thought in a million years you would be doing it for birth control, but you did honestly have such heavy periods that I mean it would go through your clothes and everything and you were always anemic and so right that time there was no other uh, that's just what you did we we talked but I did certainly did not think at 14 years old though that you would have intercourse yeah because we were saying that it kind of we didn't get to talk enough before it actually happened. Like, no, we didn't. Like it got left a little late because you didn't think it would happen so early with me. Yeah, it did. I mean, we talked about everything. We were always very free. I mean, it didn't bother me to walk around without anything on or same, same with, you know, other people in the family. I mean, I'm not saying... You know when we weren't conservative. Yeah, like, no, we like your all. like and your I mean, family was. No, we weren't. I mean, I mean, we were respectful as you got older. Obviously, we're not walking around the whole entire house. But I mean, if you all of a sudden walked in and I'm there and I'm getting out of the shower, whatever, we're yakking away. Oh yeah. And, you know, it was no big deal. Yeah. But when that happened, when you were that age, uh, I'll just say how I sort of. Because I have to admit, when it actually happened, the first thing that I felt was shock because I thought, oh my gosh, she's so young. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was shocked because we hadn't really had a good talk about it. Hey, when you have intercourse. Yeah. I never even thought, oh my gosh, I thought, oh my gosh, I haven't even had that talk, and I haven't talked about all the STDs and all the other things, and and just about protecting yourself, and... Or or even masturbation, we hadn't talked about. I think we did a a tiny bit, talked about touching yourself, and that it wasn't a bad thing to touch yourself. Okay. But I mean, we didn't go more more into that, Mm -hmm. but the thing was... I was so shocked, and then at the same time, you know, I thought of, okay, even the pill isn't 100%. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. What if she actually got pregnant? I mean, Mm -hmm. it happened. And so then, because I had had a friend in nursing that she was on the pill, and she got pregnant. I'm sure it was the first time she ever did it, too. Wow. And, uh you know, it was a shock to a lot of people because people thought, think in their minds, you're on the pill, it's 
uh, protection. But the other part was I was so, so sad mm-hmm. because I thought, oh, my gosh, this is something she'll never, ever get that back. And now she's done it, and mm-hmm. I don't know if she's going to regret it. I mean, it, it's almost like it was an impulsive thing that it wasn't really thought out what the ramifications of actually doing it. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and the other thing was with me was, what headspace were you in? Mm-hmm. Like, what was even going on? Okay, mm-hmm. so then I'll tell you why we didn't really talk. Was because Because I didn't want to. You did not want to talk. Afterwards. I thought, you have to talk to someone about this, because this really is a very, very huge thing in your life, and changed life-changing. Mm-hmm. And so... I thought you needed to talk to someone. So we had counselors through McMaster, mm-hmm. and I took you, and I took you myself. Mm-hmm. I went and introduced you. You really liked the lady. Mm-hmm. I could tell you got it. You had a rapport. Mm-hmm. So you went quite a few times to talk to her, and I said, I really want you to talk to her because you can just pour your heart out, whatever you felt, mm-hmm. what you feel now. That And we did. When you came out, I always asked you, do you want to talk to me about what you talked in there? And there were some things mm-hmm. you, you did. Um, you never said to me, like, I'm, I wish I'd never done that no. or, or anything like that. No, because I still don't feel that way. But no, so we just would talk along. about whatever you were comfortable at at the time. But as you say, it's like the whole talk thing just then got missed because yeah. then it was already passed. And, then, and, what's, yeah. and it yeah. was difficult to communicate after the fact. Both what, because what? you were in kind of shock and trying to deal with the aftermath, and I was... Obviously, in a not in a great space yeah, to talk openly exactly. about it. They have whatever headspace. Yeah, yeah. Because in our house, I always, always had told you and your brother, we can talk about anything, no matter what happens, mm-hmm. no matter how bad you think the thing is, whatever. Every single thing you and I, we can talk about anything. So I, I did some thinking, like what if we did have, you know a talk what would it have what would have rung true with me at the time probably when I was thinking of like my motives and stuff like this yes I was thinking that like it would have been important for somebody to reaffirm for me that having sex with the person wasn't going to make them love me right that it wasn't going to make them like me more right (laughs) and are you asking because what I would have said yeah. is that when people have intercourse, yeah, like first of all, I would have said, I think you're way too young. Yeah. <laughs> but if there comes a time that you are thinking of it, I would like you to tell me you're thinking of it. Right. Because I want to me, and I would have had the talk about protection, the pill not being 100%, they should be wearing a condom. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to make sure the condom doesn't break, show you how you put a condom on with a banana or whatever. I would have right. done a whole, whole thing. 10 yards and STDs and the whole thing. But the most important thing I would have said is, you know, hormones run high in that age 
age group and yeah hormones run high but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're ready to have sex because sex can be like an emotionally loaded vulnerable thing and it can go how it can go badly is when you're not in a relationship that has love and uh, support and communication such as the relationship I was in at that current time that it the fallout's going to be very difficult when you're not doing it in a safe place like that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Because I wanted you to have it with you really caring for the person and that person really caring for you. And that was not the situation I was no, in that at all. Was, and that's what also made me sad because it just was so... He was a jerk. It, exactly. And... And I had no idea, and I didn't even think I'd be worrying about it at that time. So uh, I think probably then you're right that you just didn't do it for the longest time because... Yeah, so then I didn't have actual sex until I was out of high school, like in college. I was in first year in college, actually, because it was in my residence when I had sex... For the first time again, actual so intercourse. So what age would you have been then? So it's first year college, so 19. So you're going from 14 to 18 or 19, so a long time you didn't. No, because it damaged me that much. Yes, exactly. It was such a yeah. negative experience yeah. that I was... You did, you did go, and I, there were times when I could tell uh, things were bothering you, you didn't want to talk to me, and you did go back to that counselor again. And believe me... I believe totally in counselors. If they're a good fit, sometimes they're a bad fit, they can do more damage. But I think on the whole, there's never ever shame in going to a counselor. And it's not to punish you. It's not anything like that. I think it's great for anybody to talk about anything. I agree. It's helpful. I agree. Okay, on that note, we haven't even taken a break yet. (laughs) So we're going to take a very quick break. We'll be right back with Marianne Pym. back with my mom and registered research nurse Marianne Pym. Hello everybody. Hello. I'm back. We're back. Okay one thing that we really wanted to talk about today is uh, pedendal neuralgia. I can see I can see you've got your notes. (laughs) Because it's a very very complicated condition condition and it has many symptoms of many other things yeah I just want to make sure that for for example I'm not saying the wrong stats or something like that yes yes but first I'll tell so what is pedendal neuralgia okay pedendal neuralgia it's a really painful neuropathic condition which means it involves nerves and the nerves that it involves the main one is the pudendal nerve. Which runs where in which your body? Runs, so it's the main nerve of the perineum. but Which it, is where? Okay, <laughs> for so for layman's. No, I know because I, it, you, in order to, to know exactly, I've got to say exactly. So it's from where your uh, labia, from that area in the front, 
for a girl right to to Uranus. Yeah. For a male, it's from the penis back to their anus. So all in that area, uh, it carries like the sensation uh, for both sexes, their genitalia. Yeah. So your labia, clitoris, that that area. Yep. For the male, uh, the penis and the testicles. Yeah. So it's also, when I'm talking about that, it's also talking about though further out. So the skin uh, around the anus, around, and you know, your genitalia. So it might go out, say, four or five inches. From, around that area. We'll, we'll say where your private area is in, right. in, in the way, so I don't have to keep saying all the, all the words. But it, it affects... <laughs> Your urethra in both male and female can affect your clitoris, the vulva. You've said before vulvodynia. Well, that... That's one of the many types of pudendal neurology. No, it's not a type. It's in the umbrella of pudendal neuralgia. Okay. And and so in the umbrella of it, because usually women that have eventually are diagnosed with pudendal neuralgia will be told they have just from the regular gynecologist you have vulvodynia you have vestibulitis these are things which are talking about areas around the clitoris or Mm -hmm. uh, but I'll I'll backtrack so that nerve breaks into three different branches right uh, so it is the the rectal Mm -hmm. Uh, the nerves that go to the rectum, the nerves that go to the perineum, and the nerves that go to uh, the genitalia and to, like, your urethra, where where you would pee. Yes. So often what happens is someone will go to their own gynecologist or even to their family doctor. Mm -hmm. The girl might say, uh, why I'm saying a girl is because actually... It's mostly women, isn't it? It affects seven women for every three men. Okay. And actually, only 1% of the population have this. Okay. So it's quite rare. It's very rare. Okay. Now, many, many family doctors have never even heard of it. Yeah, but I've heard it's misdiagnosed a lot because a lot lot of even health practitioners don't really know too much about it. No, they don't. And also, many, many gynecologists have never, ever had a patient that has has had pudendal neuralgia. Wow. So I've actually been talking with them for them to learn about what this is all about. So often what will happen is the girl will say, it really hurts me just to wear underwear. Yeah. You know, when I get home from work or from school, I have to take my underwear off I'll just put my nightgown on and then I feel much better Mm -hmm. well another big thing that they complain about is that maybe they have a lot of pain around their clitoris or their vulva their labia so this is most mostly a superficial pain we're talking about right now uh, no you they also get like shooting Uh, there is like burning tingling an aching. So all different types of pain. And all different types of pain and all different types of pain all different type, times of the day. Hmm. Uh, one thing that is different from, say, if 
you in and they said you have vulvodynia is the fact that people that have pudendal neuralgia have a very, very difficult time sitting. After they've sat for a while, mm -hmm. the whole uh, perineal area will ache terribly. And, it, and you might get up in the morning where it's not bad because you've been sleeping. And as the day goes on and you sit more, it gets to the point where you can't sit more. Now, the funny thing is, one way too, why, how they diagnose you is, if you can sit on a toilet seat mm -hmm. and it relieves the pain somewhat, then that's also part of what they ask you. Does that mm. help you if you sit on a toilet seat? Because mm. Apparently, the position that you go in when mm -hmm. you sit to pee or whatever, mm -hmm. it relieves the pressure on that nerve. Okay. So, on the pudendal nerve. Yeah, the pudendal nerve. Right. So, it's very, very difficult for them to diagnose it. A huge complaint is that people have trouble with intercourse. Yep. It hurts with the initial entry. Mm-hmm. Or another thing, it may hurt and then not hurt once you're in the act, but then maybe for a day or two later, hurts. you will hurt hurt down there. Mm -hmm. And for a man, uh, his testicles will hurt mm -hmm. and his penis will hurt. Or wow. uh, it may, for the women, it hurts, say, when they pee. Yeah. And it's because everything's inflamed and even for a man. And often, how it first came out was for cyclists, because they sit hours on end, they would go to their doctor and say, you know, they hurt in the perineal area, mm -hmm. around where the testicles are, but the area around in their penis when they have intercourse, whatever. And then it became known that, oh my gosh, actually women have this condition and women have it more. It was always put off as one of the other conditions. Okay. What are the causes of yeah. pudendal neuralgia? Do we know them or no? Yeah, we do. Uh, for the women, it can be a lot of things. One can be childbirth. Right. If you've got any scar tissue in there, anything like that, because the... The pudendal nerve kind of really branches out and it's actually even kind of near the supraspinous ligaments which are near the tailbone. Okay. It's hard to explain because once I get to the treatment I'll tell you what they actually do and then you'll see really how complicated it is because it really branches out and in everybody it's not like they can just point with a finger and say that's where the pudendal neuralgia is mm -hmm. I mean everybody's anatomy is different so that's why once it gets to the treatment it's very very difficult to treat it properly mm -hmm. another thing if they've had any gynecological surgery say if mm -hmm. they've gone in and say they had a bladder prolapse or anything like that vaginal prolapse mm -hmm. And they have had it done microscopically, so they'll have like tiny little incisions in their pelvic area. Right. Well, that scar tissue can grab on and, and trap that pudendal nerve. So some people have pudendal neuralgia, which is inflammation of the nerve, but some yeah. people actually get it where it's trapped, and it's trapped by scar tissue. And another thing can be heavy lifting. Wow. It's another thing that they believe now, like say, for example, people that do weights and are lifting heavy weights. Yeah. And 
the last thing that they believe, and I'm saying believe because... It's still widely long, unknown, isn't it? Yes, because for a long time, many doctors didn't really even believe there was such a thing, and I'll, I'll explain why, but the, the last thing would be either falling down onto your bum, your buttocks, yeah. very hard, and uh, injuring there, and you know, if you've had a tailbone fracture, anything like that, but it, it's not like it all of a sudden is there. It yeah. takes many years. Some people go years and years without ever being diagnosed because no one really knows about it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll tell you, uh, there's a doctor uh, in Toronto, Dr. Amanda Selk. She's a gynecologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's at Women's College. And what it, what it is is when they examine you, it's so like, oh my gosh, it's not just the genitals. It's yeah. so far out an area of it. Right. Because some people even get pain into their groin or down their legs. Wow. When it gets to the worst stage. And uh, they used to say, oh, if people are lying down, that type of thing, it relieves it. Well, no, when they're at their very worst stage, even lying down, they're getting the shooting pains, they're getting the aching. Wow. You might wake up. Now, one thing, another symptom is women feel like a foreign object is put into their vagina or put into their rectum. It's a hard sensation to explain. Interesting. Uh, I mean, it, it sounds crazy, but... That's one of the huge complaints. And another thing that the doctor asks is some women get like a super sexual sensation where during the night they have orgasms throughout the night. Wow. And, you know, they it's not that then they get their partner and they have sex. It's not that type of thing. It's just something with the way all the nerves are all screwed up. Mm -hmm. And so that's another thing that they ask the patients. Interesting. Now, I've read, uh, for example, after that Amanda Selk, Mm -hmm. she will send you to the Wazer Pain Clinic. And Mm -hmm. there, there is a doctor there. In Toronto? Yes, in Toronto. And he will diagnose you, but takes like many many appointments for him to decide that that you have that that you actually have it yeah Yeah, because what what are the other types of things that often gets misdiagnosed as well things like the vulvodynia or if you're somebody say in in postmenopausal you will the doctors will think, oh, it's just you're dry down there. That's why your underwear is bothering you. You're just dry. So what they'll do is they'll give you something like Vagifem, right. which is just like a suppository estrogen that you put in. So once they think maybe you have it, they'll try things. There's like a Valium suppository. They give you either rectally or vaginally. Mm-hmm. And that is just to settle because there's a lot of muscle spasms inside like in the pelvic floor everything like that there's a lot of muscle spasms and a lot of people will complain say of pelvic pain yeah at the side of their pelvis like kind of like you would have when you have your period that kind of a pain yeah but that person no a lot of times a person maybe even has had a hysterectomy so there's no way that that's their ovaries or whatever causing that pain right so you know it's really a complicated thing and then what they'll do is 
another one is a gabapentin, which they give for diabetic uh, um, neuropathy, so nerves that are damaged by diabetes in the legs and that, they'll give gabapentin. So they will give a gabapentin and a Valium suppository to put mm -hmm. in, and that's just to see whether relax it, you know, will relax things inside, maybe give less pain. Maybe if you go and have intercourse, that it doesn't hurt as much, that they see a difference. But it's a very, very long process. Wow, uh, of so figuring it out of, of even diagnosing it. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. So what what happens from there usually? What types of treatment are available? Or uh, once they decide that they think you maybe have it, then they do a thing called a pelvic block. Yeah, right? nerve block, right? Yes, and so what that involves is laying on your stomach and they have an ultrasound beside the bed. Unfortunately, here in Canada, they do an ultrasound. In the United States, they do a CT scan, which the CT scan really is much, much more accurate. Yeah. So you're, you're laying and uh, they put the gel on your bum, on your buttock, and, and do... Um, the machine it's a handheld thing and she can see she or he it's always done by an anesthesiologist okay and they see up on the screen uh, exactly what's going on and what she is trying to she or he trying to find out is where in the buttock is the part where the pudendal nerve, nerve and where it's kind of intersecting, say, with the sciatic nerve and the other nerves, because everything kind of all bypasses in there. So yeah. uh, you're, as I said before, the pudendal nerve uh, branches into three, so it's all the genital, the rectal, the perineum. So she is trying to find where is the spot. Right. But I mean, it's very difficult with the ultrasounds. But then, when she finds where she thinks the, po the point of where all these intersect by looking on there, mm -hmm. on the screen, she will mark it, and then with a huge needle, Ooh. she will put in a medication, usually Bufacaine, and... And that's the nerve block. Yeah, so it, it's like an anesthetic plus steroid type thing, like okay. some doctors will choose to do both of them. Usually it's mixed together, and you actually do a diary. A right? pain diary. From 10 minutes afterwards, they will come to you and ask, how is it? Do you have pain down your leg? Because you say beforehand, what level is your pain, and where do you have it? So you might say, I have a level 10 down my right leg. I have, uh, you know, a level 5 in my left buttock. Yeah. And then they will know that. So then afterward, within 10 minutes, they come and ask you, and you have to say what your pain level is. Yeah. And then... The next often, day, a week later. Well, not even that. You're literally doing it hour by hour. Okay. Until, and you're writing down what your pain level is. You know, are you numb there? Whatever. Because being where they're actually putting in a numbing agent also, usually what happens is it will all go numb there. Now, the way they judge is if you have, say, even an hour of relief, having relief or a change or say your pain went from 10 down to 1, anything like that, they really judge your first one by a diagnostic type thing, whereas the next two are more to actually help your pain. But that very first right. one is very important. If you have any change at all, 
they usually start to think, okay, this person has potential neurology. One other treatment, a huge thing, mm-hmm. is pelvic physio. Yeah. Now, these are very, very trained physiotherapists. Yeah. Very expensive. Yeah. But they are well worth the help. I've heard of this, um, like a pe- pelvic floor therapist, in relation to vaginismus. Yes, exactly. They treat any pelvic-type condition, like what you're saying, even painful intercourse. Say you don't have pudendoneuralgia, but you just have painful intercourse. What they do is, it's Mm -hmm. very invasive. Yes. (laughs) You have to be totally with it when it's going on. Mm -hmm. You participate because they will go first vaginal or rectal, they go in, and with putting pressure, they actually go around like a clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, like that, mm-hmm. and go all the way around. Say, for example, the opening of the vagina, mm-hmm. they're in there, and they put pressure, and you deep breathe and everything like that until yeah. they, uh, you might, and they'll actually ask you, how much pain do you have there? You might say, I have a pain, a pain of 8 you will do deep breathing yeah. and get it. They will put pressure on that until, say, the pain will go down to a two or a three. And then they will also do that rectally, and they do it around the whole opening up of the rectum. And the idea of that is mm-hmm. to uh, calm down any muscle spasms, just like you said. Uh, Vaginismus? The, yeah. Vaginismus is the one where the PC muscles are so, 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 so tight that when you have intercourse, the, the uh, common quote, I guess, around it is that it feels like the penis is hitting a wall. Yes, exactly. But also, yeah. but also that includes uh, just, you can get the penis in, and, but it's just very painfully tight, very, very tight all through yep. in the vagina. And, yeah, and then the thing is, afterwards, there's pain because it's now hit yes. that so-called wall. Yeah. And your muscles are all in spasm, and yeah. of course that's very painful, and then that can be referred pain into your uh, genital area where you're maybe getting shooting pain or pain into your pelvic area where you normally would have your ovaries, that type of thing, or even in anal pain, and, and that's why there's such an overlap of what really is going on. So it, it's a really exhaustive thing to finally come to the final thing of pelvic neurology yeah in toronto is there someone that you know of uh toronto because now someone from this area has gone to uh talk with dr uh the dr gordon alan gordon is his name right uh i actually had um a senior moment there what trying to think of his name for the last 10 minutes here oh (laughs) (laughs) you got it you got it eventually Okay, so just quickly before mom goes, because this seems to be the episode that I'm going to talk about it, uh, because I've been dealing with something uh, over the last couple months. Uh, The only time I mentioned it on the podcast was my episode with Kelly Wilk, where I thought I had a UTI. I mentioned it then, but I haven't said anything else about it. So what happened was I went into the doctor, my GP, and she said um, she did a urine and I said I think I have a UTI so she kind of 
didn't see anything in the urine at that point, but gave me an antibiotic anyway, but said, hold on to this. Don't take it right yet because there's nothing in your urine. And it looks like if you did have a UTI, you kind of got rid of it yourself. But if you still have, say, in a week, another week or 10 days, if you still have the symptoms, fill that prescription to get the antibiotic because you need an antibiotic to get rid of the UTI. So all that did happen where I went through another 10 days, still had some symptoms. So I filled the prescription, took the whole prescription of the antibiotics, and then still had symptoms even after that. So I went back into her and she did another urine. Oh, and I did a full physical actually. So I did complete blood work. I did the pap at that time. I did my full annual and she said at that time thought it might be an STI or an STD because it was kind of clear it wasn't a UTI. Nothing had been in my urine at any time yet. So she said in a couple weeks, if you don't hear anything from us and you still have symptoms, come back again. Uh, so still had symptoms. A couple weeks later, came back again. She told me that no, it wasn't in any of the STIs or STDs she tested for. All the blood work was fine. At this point in my head, I'm still thinking it's just a stubborn UTI. But she revealed to me from the urine from the physical, it's also not a UTI. And I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) And then um, she also said the pap was totally clear as well. And she said one more thing it could be is maybe a yeast infection in the urinary tract. Because she already had already done a physical superficial examination and everything was fine. So it wasn't a traditional yeast infection, but maybe it's way up in the urinary, urinary tract. So she gave me an external cream to try for about 10 days. She said, do the full course of this. If you still have symptoms, come back. So I did that, still had symptoms, came back. So now it's at the point where she's referred me to a vulva specialist and that now, you know, I've got to wait to hear back from them, which could take months. But this is my journey so far. I'll keep everyone updated. Uh, And it's just, it feels like a UTI. That's what it feels like. Right. That it's just kind of a sensitivity and slight burning associated with urination. Like either right before or, you know, when I have to pee, I feel the little bit of pain there. And then I pee. So I I think it's definitely associated with the urinary tract. But I'm not a doctor. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, it certainly does sound like it, but that is the thing. It could be, like, interstitial cystitis is like that. You have the burning. Mm -hmm. uh, You have where you feel, you know, just the aching there, uncomfortable like that. Mm -hmm. But what they do for uh, interstitial cystitis, I may as well just say it while we're talking about that, is they do bladder installations, so they put um, uh, medication. First of all, they'll, they'll drain your your bladder mm-hmm. with a catheter, mm-hmm. and then they put a new catheter, uh, or, yeah, new catheter back in, 
and the medication called DSMO, mm -hmm. they actually put that in, and you have to hold that in as long as you can, but you lay on your side, you lay on your back, you mm -hmm. lay on your other side, you lay on your tummy, mm -hmm. and they might order it for two hours, you need to hold that in. God. And then, and then you can go pee after that, and it is very, very difficult when you have the symptoms you're talking about. Because I want to pee so often. Yes, to hold that medication in. But then they do it every once a week for four weeks. And then if you notice that anything is better, if you don't have as much urgency or something like that, then they'll go to once a month. Mm -hmm. But it's pretty well a lot of people, if they have that true interstitial cystitis, mm -hmm. you have to go forever and mm -hmm. have that done. Because it's actually the wall of your bladder is actually changed, physically mm -hmm. changed. So is this a thing that a vulva specialist will be able to yes, diagnose? Yes, so because they, you will go ask, do they know anything about pudendal neuralgia? Because many, many, say you've just learned about it recently, because many, <laughs> many people haven't even heard of it. Right. So they might change your cream do whatever but it all depends how experienced this person is that you're seeing whether or not if they've dealt with people with pudendal neuralgia mm -hmm. and I would say with being though near the Wazer pain clinic though yeah Dr. Alan Gordon is world renowned for pudendal neuralgia that if you have pudendal neuralgia he is the person you go to okay so I'd be very surprised that a gynecologist in Toronto, Wouldn't. maybe not someone newly starting out, but someone that knows and goes to conferences and does all that kind of thing, mm -hmm. there is no way that they haven't heard of Dr. Alan Gordon. Okay. Okay, so I'm taking care of you, think. I think, I think so. <laughs> I, and I mean, see where it goes, because... I mean, it's not like, it's not a super urgent pain, but it's annoying, well, for, for sure. sure. And you've got to get to the bottom yes. of oh, for what sure. it is, because that, those are not normal symptoms to have. Yes. You're a young person, you haven't had a baby before. Yeah, no, I think the urgency comes from, in my head, I'm... Drink, I'm drinking so much to try and clear out whatever like infection may or may not be in there like I'm drinking f fluids constantly because in my head like that's gonna help <laughs> no but that is a very good thing though because, to know and to state though because people that have this urgency frequency this type of thing mm -hmm. they think oh i better not drink because i'm going to be peeing all the time or no i'm I the opposite to go to an appointment i'm going to be riding on the bus or i'm going to be riding on the subway i have to go to work so i'm not going to drink yeah. you are very good in the way that you're drinking because what happens is when you withhold that water and mm -hmm. you don't drink Mm -hmm. everything becomes even more irritating yeah well that's the thing with me that's the thing with me like when I'm drinking tons and tons I hardly have any pain there at all when I feel pain is when I'm like dehydrated like first thing in the morning when I'm like I try to drink throughout the night I have a glass of water yeah. by the bed but like yeah. in the in the morning or yeah like it's that 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 pain is like the happiest when I'm just drinking yes. so 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 much and peeing like every half hour Yes, and, and yet, when you think about it, peeing every half hour is not normal for a person of your age. No, but I am drinking so, so many fluids. Yes, yes. But, but still, no, it's probably yeah, not. Yeah, but 
that actually is a very good symptom to tell the doctor, though, mm -hmm. about what you just said, how when you're drinking and when you get up in the morning, the difference, and that if you don't drink and exactly yeah. what happens. Now, yes, yes. does it hurt you to wear underwear and things like no, that? No, no, not at all. Okay. No. So, so that's, you know, hopefully this doctor will figure it out and we'll hear yeah. <laughs> on the next podcast or whatever, eventually on a podcast, yeah. we will hear what Aaron's problem was. Yeah, eight, eight episodes down the line when I finally yeah. get this appointment. Well, I hope it's not too long yeah. because it's not the nicest thing to have those symptoms no. and, and go along with that. But no. yeah, just keep your, keep your drinking. Yeah. And also, are you uh, taking cranberry pills or drinking cranberry juice or anything like that? I was when I thought it was a UTI, but I'm not anymore. Should, yeah. should I just continue that just in case? I would. Yeah. It's not harmful. I certainly right. would because things like that certainly help. All right. Just, just with the frequency and that type, that type of thing. I mean, it's not going to solve it because no. it sounds like it's more complicated more, more complicated than that but anyway uh okay yeah. well mom we are way oh. over time <laughs> which i knew oh, we would be i know i knew we would be <laughs> Do you, so uh, thank you so much for doing this, Ma. Oh, you're welcome. I hope I helped somebody. Or I'm really happy you did. I'm really happy you did. for somebody yeah. to, or interesting even for somebody. I think it's important to talk about, and I'm glad you do think that as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I love you, Mom. I love you, too. And I'm <laughs> glad I did it. It was fun. All right. I'm with, so, okay. once again, this is Marianne Pym, and I am Erin Pym. To find out more about the Bedpost stage show, go to facebook.com slash erotica. My personal blog with over 100 short stories is at erinserotica.com. And lastly, the Bedpost podcast features original music by Steph Copeland, who can be reached at her website, stephcopelandmusic.com. 